telling you something. I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Marketing While Marginal podcast, a show brought to you by InCrowd, a team of marketing experts here to challenge the status quo in advertising and marketing. I'm your girl, Debbie St. Clair, aka The Accounts Whisperer. And I'm Bree Bynes, aka The Social Media Snack, and we have a fabulous show for you people today. So let's get into it with yes. a quick little rundown. First, we're going to kick off with some industry tea because you know it's going to be popping, piping hot from me. Then we're going to have a really dope roundtable discussion with two members from our ERG, Ari and Anem. And then we're going to absolutely. And then we're going to get into it with our MWM letter with Teresa and Tyra. All right, Bree, kick us off with the industry tea. What's going on? Well, it's a, I regret to inform everyone that a major retailer oh, got exposed, 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 child. For what? They created a corporate culture that was unwelcoming towards Black people. And quiet as it's kept, foundationally, their name was meant to offend the Asian community. Their leaders regularly were using stereotypes to define and ostracize their minority employees. And they also created a whole diversity and inclusion department in 2020 during the racial reckoning to help their minority employees and also protect the company's image. But Mm. here we are. How do you feel about this and what do you think they should do moving forward, Deb? Is this something that could be fixable? My take on this is that I think we really need to move the conversation to the companies that are supporting our communities, whether that's the Asian community, the Black community. I think too many times they're trying to create a seat at the table where it doesn't exist. If it doesn't exist, there's just so many more companies that are putting putting dollars behind um including us including us in their campaigns um making sure that we're represented in the right way and i just think we waste too much time and energy and resources into teaching other companies that aren't so open to being taught what to do um i just uh, there's uh, i think if it's not for us we don't need to make it for us that's just my take. Yeah, on no, it. I completely agree because it, it's clear that this brand is really catered towards the white almond mom that comes from wealth, and I I don't <laughs> see myself in that. So what's the point of me even supporting the brand if I don't see myself? You know? Yeah, I mean, let's think about the brands that are black owned or POC owned. Are they creating similar products? Let's put our dollars behind these brands. I just think. It's time to really just take our dollars away. We know our spending dollars make a difference. Let's take the dollars away from these companies um, that only show up for us when they're trying to check a box off. And let's move on. Time to move on. 2023 was a great year for advertising and marketing. So that's why we decided to have a roundtable discussion with a few of our squirrel friends from our Gen Zennial ERG, our employee resource group, Ari and Anem. Hey, hey, hey. Hi. Hey, ladies. 
Welcome. Welcome. How you, how you doing? <sighs> I was just about to say that. Um, we're good. Are you the second coming of Wendy? I should be. <laughs> Right. We need another one. We're good. We're good. I'm in my, my Hanifa. We are just, we are chilling. We are ready for winter. Anem, how about you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little bit sick today, but I'm all good. Oh, no. We would never know because that skin is glowing. Thank you. Right. So tell us about yourselves. Give us a cute little 140 characters or less on what you guys do. Um, well, I'm a social media manager, you know, I do and work in things, work in all things food related, you know, making TikToks, recipe videos, what have you, and uh, being a co-sponsor for our Generate ERG. NM. Okay, so hi, my name is NM. I'm also a social media manager. Um, I work in hair care, as well as the food industry for some of your brands. And I just help them build communities online. Awesome. Can you guys tell us a little bit a little bit about your ERG? Absolutely. And what that is. Yes. We might have to explain what the ERG is for anybody who doesn't understand. I can totally explain. So an ERG is an employee resource group um, for long, um, ERG for short. And essentially it exists to basically have, it's a hub essentially. It is a hub for employees um, who identify a certain way and want to find community with other people in their company, um, as well as like all offering actual resources for members within those groups. So in our case, in Anem and I's case, we are the co-leads for Generate. Um, and essentially it is for the Gen Zennial, that is the Gen Zer and or millennial. Um, and we want to create a space for the new workforce. You know, young Love people, mm-hmm. young people are on the up and up. We are game changers. We generate new ideas for the culture so okay. oh i i just i just <laughs> I, I, I i see what you did there <laughs> you see me you see me so we are out here trying to generate new ideas new experiences new marketing for the next generation um so yeah that is what we are all about well that's dope that's dope awesome. so i'm 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 ready to get into the best of 2023 marketing campaigns. The My first thing. one, the first one we're starting off with is Fenty Beauty. And we, oh, by the way, just a disclaimer, we didn't put these in any particular order. So we're not favoritizing any specific campaign over one another. These are just the best of overall stuff that we gravitated to, stuff that had a chokehold on mm. pop culture and uh, just social discourse overall. But the first, campaign that was definitely um a killer in 2023 was Fenty Beauty at the Super Bowl so a little okay. bit of backstory Rihanna actually wasn't paid for her Super Bowl halftime performance at all so she really just made sure to capitalize Madness. on being at the Super Bowl and taking advantage of the like 133 million viewers. And it actually mm-hmm. paid off because Fenty Beauty uh, in that month, they their uh, EMV there, which stands for earned media value was $44.1 mm-hmm. million, which is absolutely unheard of for a brand. Um, 
So what did you guys think of the campaign? What was your what was your favorite part of Rihanna at the Super Bowl? Because there was a lot of different aspects to the campaign in an entirety. Yeah, I absolutely loved the um, her performance and. The part that I loved the most was when she like the camera zoomed into her and she just used like the um the blotting powder mm. and goes mm-hmm. up up like are you kidding? That was absolutely nuts. Yeah, that was that was it for me. Also for me, leading up to the Super Bowl, I remember there being a few different like social posts. If y'all are not following at Fenty Beauty already, like what are you doing? Um, they have a bougie, aka a budget. And some of their social posts were so interesting because they like use CGI to like squirt out like foundation onto different like footballs and it was just so clever because it's like first of all just like the shade range in the total is just beautiful as it is mm-hmm. but to see these different like shades of like obviously reflective of people on like these different stylized aesthetic footballs was just yeah. so beautiful and it was just like it was kind of a warning that we were going to get a Fenty Beauty plug at the Super Bowl and we did mm-hmm. yeah so it was kind of like leading up to that event but those that social media mm-hmm. is their social media in general is like amazing yeah just to tap on a little bit so I, I just love the general conversation even around the Fenty um, around um, Rihanna performing at Super Bowl. So I, I remember seeing a video of this guy who makes like 3D models of like things. So he made like, you know, Rihanna, if you're going to be performing, uh, like I made you a microphone shaped as the, I think the kilowatt highlighter, I believe. Oh. One of them. And it was the dopest thing ever. Like I'm like, I love when brands can drive like very natural conversation online organically and it just works oh yeah that was it for me and that's what i was gonna say you stole the Mm. words right out of my uh, mouth and then but i loved how organic it happened because as a music head as a music head I didn't want to see a runway of Savage Fenty or I didn't want to hear about makeup. I was like, what is she going to perform? Especially because she hasn't come out with the album yet. So the fact that she gave the people what they came for, which was music, because we hadn't heard from her for a while, while also plugging in her product at the end, effortlessly, I thought it was very tastefully done. Um, It wasn't too much. And it also, it kind of laughed in everybody's face who thought she was going to turn the stage into a runway. It was like, no, I'm going to come with the music. But yeah, at the end, I'll drop a little bit of product by that. It's a new product. Get it. So I loved, um, you know, how she did that. So tastefully done, greatly done. Fantastic. Absolutely. One last thing I just wanted to add. It's also really important to note that although Fenty Beauty was really the highlight of um, a lot of the plugs, all of her Fenty brands really participated in this Super mm-hmm. Bowl because they had an entire collection for her Savage X Fenty brand, which mm-hmm. is her intimates right. and sleep and sleepwear brand. So it was very strategic upon her entire brand to be like, look, we're going to take this financial L when it comes to Rihanna working as a performer 
but best believe we're going to do some um, 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 product plugging in there yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. There's going to be some conversion. Yes. <laughs> you know, ROI. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But the ROI paid off because they had a, a, a $44.1 million earned media value in February. Yeah. And that was, mm. that was their best month ever, like ever, ever. Um, but keeping in line to the Super Bowl, Molson Coors also had a super, super dope campaign for the Super Bowl. So essentially, the premise was they did a collaboration with DraftKings. DraftKings is that uh, online gambling app that allows you to make bets on different sporting events, right? So they put together a bet what was going to be a high stakes beer at the Super Bowl, meaning what was going to be the fan favorite beer at the Super Bowl. They put together an entire commercial that um, pretty much pit two of their beers together. It was Miller Lite and Coors Light. It was in a mm -hmm. Killer Bill style uh, like commercial and they pretty much duked it out to see which one had the better or which one was going to be the high stakes beer. At the end of the day, everybody was shooketh because it wasn't Miller Lite. It wasn't Coors Light, but the winner was actually Blue Moon. Mike job. <laughs> yeah. Um, I absolutely love this just because A, it created a bunch of discourse online. When I tell you people were kind of pissed about it not being uh Molson uh Miller Light or Coors Light and they were like oh my gosh it's Blue Moon that wasn't even really an option but a lot of people don't really know <laughs> that all three brands are owned by Molson and Coors yeah. which is why this campaign was chef's kiss this is a great way to kind of like if you are like a holding company and you have a bunch of brands under you like that's a great way to mm -hmm. utilize all of them like yeah. i feel like a lot of times brands don't always see the value of collaboration across mm. the brands that they mm -hmm. own um and so this is just like a great example of how to kind of like extend your property value maybe or like how to monopolize, how to monopolize exactly <laughs> on the on the yeah. amount of like companies or which other brands that you can kind of uh find that through line for yeah and i i mean i love blue moon i don't really like beer and i think for your non-beer drinkers i hear a lot of them like blue mm -hmm. moon so it was kind of like a also a play on the the beer that's not really thought of you know like the the last thought beer is like what they showed at the end it's like you always think about that last that's how i like took the commercial next up ba -da ba 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 i'm loving it <laughs> mcdonald's came out with the grimace make milkshake this summer to celebrate the 52nd birthday of the character and it kind of took a dark turn on tiktok for some reason uh, apparently people were filmed drinking the purple drink on TikTok and then faking their own deaths, which got kind of dark, but on a high key note, like McDonald's got talked about. So like, do you guys think that this was like a good campaign? Was it beneficial for them? Do you think it hurt McDonald's in any uh, way, shape or form? 
Honestly, no, because I think a lot of brands from from the generate perspective, Gen Z tends to be very morbid and have a very dark sense of humor. So Mm -hmm. this is kind of insight into like how they're able to like activate that kind of dark Gen Z humor that we're always talking about online, on TikTok, on Instagram, what have you. So honestly, it worked to their favor and actually getting to see how our generation is participating in something that's not really connected fully to our generation is like, is really interesting to see. Moving on from milkshakes to tacos. Taco Bell actually did something super dope this summer with LeBron James. They went on their very own initiative to free the phrase Taco Tuesday. FYI, like retailers and small businesses cannot use the phrase Taco Tuesday whatsoever. That's why in the... Madness. Right, right. Like, can you believe somebody literally trade trademarked the term Taco yes. Tuesday so other, uh, other people couldn't use yes, it? I well, can. Taco Bell said, put your money where your mouth is. We're starting proceedings. We're starting legal action because this is egregious. We own tacos too. So should everybody else. So they came out with this super dope commercial with LeBron James talking about Taco Tuesday. And they explicitly bleeped out the phrase Taco Tuesday whenever he said it to reinforce how it's a no-no for everyone to use. Thoughts, feelings, suggestions? I love this. It's like, it's so like Taco Tuesday is such like a pop culture moment. Like everybody will, you know, go out on Tuesdays to get tacos and what have you. So to know that like a brand is able, like they're, they're listening to the public, like their ear is to the ground type of thing. So I love it. I think it's random, but also perfect that they partnered with LeBron James for this. So I'm here for it. And anytime a brand is bleeping something out like that immediately entertains people. Yeah, it grabs a lot of attention too. I also love it because I don't think anything that's culturally based should be trademarked. Yes, no. (laughs) This wasn't, you know, tacos are a Mexican dish. I don't think anybody should be trademarking um mm-hmm. taco that part Tuesday. yeah I think that, yeah. Part, Debbie. that money should go back to the mexican community yeah it also leads uh or gives taco bell an opportunity to partner with other brands that are heavily affected by this um by not being able to use the phrase taco tuesday this could easily lead into any kind of partnership for them just because they feel so attainable oh Uh-oh. jesus what happened it's not it's not originated, it didn't oh, originate no. i just had to jump in because i gotta know the ethnicity <laughs> yeah. because mexicans do not call it taco tuesday they don't have a taco tuesday we have tacos all the time mm. we're not like woohoo it's taco mm-hmm. tuesday mm. so <laughs> just putting that out there heard and i will go off camera again. <laughs> I was also going to say, and if any Mexican buys tacos from Taco Bell, it was usually usually on Sunday because they were 50 cents. So, and you could buy like. Wait, wait. (laughs) When were tacos 50 cents? I'm dating myself, but so I grew up with a family of five. And the only time we bought tacos from Taco Bell was on Sunday because they were like 50 cents. Wow. It was the only time she didn't cook. 
So not in this. We need economy. to bring that back. We need to bring that right, back. Taco right. Bell. For, we need to. We need to bring a lot of trademark. things back in this in this economy. We need to bring a lot of things back in this economy. Speaking of bringing things back, Barbie had a great year this year. The marketing team did their thing. Like, let's just like keep it a buck. Like from the partnerships i have this conspiracy in my mind that it's not necessarily a conspiracy the barbie movie wasn't actually made to be a movie the barbie movie Mm. was a piece of marketing to market barbie as a brand and a toy company that's what it was so i think it is absolutely genius that they were like Let's throw $150 million at a piece of marketing that will be marketing and production for our product. And additionally, what's really dope is that Barbie sales, because of the Barbie movie, increased by 16%. So I just want brand people to know that like, when you have a budget, your return on your investment will be there, but you cannot expect marketers to squeeze water out of a rock. Period. I was gonna add. I was gonna go contrary to what you said, Bree. I'm gonna play a bit of devil's advocate. So, Ooh. the Barbie movie. So, I didn't necessarily see it as them like advertising like their, their company. I saw it almost as Mattel checking themselves about the historical impact of their Barbies and then seeing how they can course correct. So the movie was almost like, because if you look at it from like an objective point of view, it was almost like, wow, Mattel really did not so great things in positioning who Barbie is to the public. Oh. It's like them almost like course correcting and like, well, that was our intention. This was like this, like what our intention was. And then now showing the after of that that's just my so you think this was a crisis management a play ish because if we see in the movie like the gen z so it was america ferrera's daughter who was like um i think it was a scene where she was like oh, i forgot what it was but pretty much they were at the lunch table and they made her cry made barbie cry like it was, it was almost like a check as like what you thought you were doing for us girls you weren't really doing it mm. and that's like gen z speaking Right. And them, do you think they succeeded? Because I think there are people who still don't know to this day that the movie was meant to be a woman empowerment movie movie. I think uh this is this is gonna get interesting. I think I have like two views entirely about it. Um let me come back. Let me think about my answer and I'll come back if 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 the conversation still is, is still in that area. Ari, I think the movie was selling toys and M thinks it was crisis management. What do you think? I think it's a little bit of both now mm-hmm. after hearing both of you, because I do think it it absolutely, you don't just spend $150 to not make any of that million, money back. Million, million. Oh, sorry, $150 million in marketing, just like not see any money return back to you. That just is not unheard of Mm -hmm. unheard of nonsensical Mm -hmm. but at the same time i think they were trying to use this the crisis management was like the vessel for this movie to exist Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i think like Mm -hmm. they're doing a little bit of both they want to kind of tell this story 
in order to like say, hey, we're sorry, this is our intention going forward. We're not in the 50s anymore. And buy our toys because we're not that girl that you used to know mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think they kind of achieved multiple goals throughout the marketing and yeah. the movie. Yeah. I'm glad mm -hmm. you made that point, NM, about it possibly, or about it being mm -hmm. PR for the simple fact that Barbie, the brand, did a lot of collaborations. Mm -hmm. One with mm -hmm. Xbox mm -hmm. to highlight the STEM, to, to, um, to cater to the STEM Barbie girl. Mm -hmm. They did a collaboration mm -hmm. with Balmain for mm -hmm. the high-end luxury mm -hmm. Barbie mm -hmm. girl. They did a collaboration with progressive for the, the the girl that likes to be insured and safe. They did a collaboration mm -hmm. with Airbnb for the travel girl. Mm -hmm. So they made sure to do all of these collaborations with different brands. So they made, so they want, cause they clearly wanted to make sure and make it communicated that Barbie's for everybody yeah. depending yeah. on what your interest is. There's mm -hmm. going to be a Barbie for you. Mm -hmm. And so personalities that's a too. Yes. I think yeah. uh, Issa Rae getting casted our black queen, Barbie. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. for sure. Alone, alone. Mm -hmm. Moving on from Barbie, we need to go on to another icon whose name starts with a B. And that is Beyonce, 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 Beyonce had a great year. She boosted the economy. She entertained us. And she also gave us a great insights as to how she markets her brand. Beyonce as a brand is just super interesting because mm -hmm. she's gotten to a point in her career where she just drops stuff. Mm -hmm. She doesn't do any kind of promotion. She doesn't do any kind of press, which kind of irritates me because she set a precedent for all of these other artists to think that they can do the same when they are yeah. not those girls. They're not in those that they are not in that lane. Beyonce comes from. You have to be a legend. Like yeah, that. she comes to, from the to, Michael to Jackson era. Yeah, it's just the last. And like it's it. from the Mystique. Yeah. It's from the Mystique. Mystique and also you don't forget. know much about her, so that's why when she drops, it works like that. Mm -hmm. And people forget. I'm sorry. People forget that like mm -hmm. it takes time to build your brand to like a certain level mm -hmm. where you can do these kind of things. Like if you just like open an IG like page tomorrow, you can't get that like next year. It's consistent building of that brand presence and personality. So she's doing a fantastic job. Also, this is over decades. This woman has mm -hmm. right. been building this empire, this career. So it's like, not to mention, she's extending the brand in a familial way because obviously everybody was not just going crazy over Beyonce, but Beyonce's manager, Ivy, Miss mm -hmm. Blue Ivy, of course, mm -hmm. who, she mm -hmm. like her bills are paid, you know, but now like she's really stepping into her own. Like this is no longer like a baby. This is like a preteen that we are witnessing becoming a star. So seeing a generation of Knowles women taking the stage like that's a legacy unlike sure. you know some of the legacies other folks be mm -hmm. trying to have out here mm -hmm. she's not just taking the stage she's also taking the screen because what mm. she did she was very smart she did what she did for Coachella she repurposed her content and made it a movie yeah but 
She's got the entire movie industry really shook because she created a partnership directly with the theaters mm -hmm. to launch her movie. I don't know what that's going to mean moving forward when it comes to content production and movies coming out moving forward. Will this lead to an opportunity for smaller production companies to just create deals with theaters on in their own right? So what what she uh, she I don't think she realizes what she did there when it comes to uh, building that deal for her to just go to direct to consumer and be like, hey, AMC, we're doing an exclusive with you and launching my movie and, and we're calling it a day. There was no Paramount. There was no. Yeah. Um, um, what are the other big major movie productions? There was no studio backing her. It was just her you make a good point Bree. but because like a lot of where we're at with like hollywood right now i think it is we're beginning to see the democratization of content in tv and film and i think ari and nm you guys being from generate i think she took a page out of the gen z playbook which is she took away the middleman yeah. so i think she definitely knew what she was doing brie i think her team knew what they were doing but they're seeing that you don't need the middlemen anymore. Keep the funds, you know, create the deals yourself. That's all I have to say on that one. Speaking of Beyonce, let's move on to one of her prodigies, protege, prodigies, Halle Bailey. She was the Little Mermaid this year. It drummed up a lot of discourse over who should play what roles in Hollywood, but I just wanted to shout out the fact that InCrowd got the opportunity to yes. put together a dope activation for one of our clients, Shea Moisture Canada. We had a fabulous activation for all the little ones that got a chance to enjoy the Toronto premiere. Shea Moisture sponsored a hair bar. We did the Little Mermaid hairstyles using Shea Moisture products. It was definitely the highlight or one of the highlights, I think, of in crowds year. And I think it was really important for us to contribute to that moment in pop culture. And you created a Brie, an in-house filter. Oh, right. I'd be forgetting about the work that I do. Media filter. The, I, I don't remember things. I just do them and then put it out there and hope for the best. And I usually get a best in return, but, you know, I, I just move on after that but yeah the tiktok filter was super dope they got seven hundred and fifty thousand impressions you know just minor flex queen <laughs> queen queen only queen only but yeah. shameless plug <laughs> but you know we had to just i had to sprinkle in the little mermaid as a best of moment in 2023 because it was a best of moment for in crowd mm -hmm. And honestly, for the public, because let's be real, we really helped communicate that all hairstyles really do matter, even if they're under the sea. Like, I, there just isn't enough lock representation out there for me. Like, right. I love Chloe and Halle. One of my favorite rappers is Callie. She got locks, but that's literally two worlds. Two mm. two girls. Yeah. Where are all the right. where are all the artists that have locks? It's like. Bob Marley cannot only be, be my be my only representation, baby. I love him. 
Yeah, and when you do see your locks, it has to be, you know, kind of the loose with the edge, with the, the curly, curls. You know what I mean? No. It has to be, yeah. I don't want to yeah. see that. I want to see my hair. But you know what? I will be the representation that you guys need from the lock community. But yeah, Disney had a great year when it came to inclusivity, at least when it came to casting their leads for roles, regardless of what people feel about uh, who their lead is. They did not get bullied by the internet. Um, But moving on from one fish to two fish, let's talk about Aquaman. Do you know who got who Aquaman is? Aquaman is the boy that jumped off the Alabama riverboat during the Alabama brawl to help his co-worker nook if you book some wild and <laughs> intoxicated patrons at a dock. I think this was an absolute hot, hot, hot moment in 2023. And I think when we talk about it from a business perspective, this is a great opportunity for brands to low-key just hop on for an agile social moment and also a moment for small businesses to hop on and create uh, create every kind of merch under the sun. Um, I've seen everything from folding chair earrings to folding chair t-shirts to folding chair flags. The folding chair was a symbol for resistance, I believe, in the Black community. I absolutely love all the social discussion around um, the Alabama brawl. I think I saw something on Twitter was a screenshot, like was a picture, I think, in particular Walmart in the U.S. that were selling the folding chairs for like half off or something like that. It was so funny. And then, I mean, I'd love to see moving forward how pop culture, well, how, you know, animations or TV recreates this moment. Like Family Guy does an amazing job of these kind of things. So I'm looking forward to what we see in future screen. Yeah, I wish Atlanta was still on air. I think they would have did a great job. Yeah, yes. they would have ate that. I would have loved yeah. Jesus Amaro's coverage on it. But Ari, what, I see you itching to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, again, to your point, there's like great merch, love the social moment and really just like a moment for the online black community to band together over something that started negatively, but turned into something that we could all rally around and support. This year wasn't just great for marketing moments. We also saw some really, really dope collabs. There was Cardi B and McDonald's, Cardi B and Nor. There was Google and Pat McGrath. There was Ice Spice and Dunkin' Donuts, just to name a few. So I just wanted to start off with the Cardi B and Offset McDonald's collab, just because this keeps in line with how brands... Uh, create marketing moments around key dates and holidays. This meal came out for Valentine's Day and lasted through till mid-March. So what do you guys think about brands capitalizing on key dates and holidays? Is it necessary? What's the deal? I think you have to be strategic. 
I agree. Strategy is everything. Like, you know, Valentine's Day is every year. Like how there are easy ways to activate it. And Cardi B and Offset have just been like that celebrity couple. I don't know why more couples don't try to like market themselves together to do more of these types of collaborations. But I love seeing like couples specifically because that way you can get both of their camps to join in on whatever your brand is uh, trying to get them both for. Because celebrity relationships don't last long, love. That's why. They don't have to. The collab was only a month, so. This is true. I would love to see Lori Harvey do one with a fling. I don't know if she would share her to share that bag. Or she could do one for Father's Day with her dad, Steve Harvey. That would there be you a go. good collab. Maybe that's our, op- maybe that's the in-crowd opportunity. Ooh, no. that is our way in to work with McDonald's. If there's anybody on the brand team working at McDonald's, call in crowd so we can facilitate this idea. Plug. Plug it up. Plug it all the way up. Another collab that Cardi Cardi B got paid this year. Like, let's be real. Right. We're asking Rihanna where's the album, but Cardi. You know, you know what? You're absolutely right. But Cardi B, she not only did a collaboration with uh, her man for McDonald's, she also did a collaboration with Noor, Mm -hmm. where she pretty much created a bunch of different tasting combos out of Noor products. And then they did a whole commercial where she pretty much got a chance to give them a tutorial on how she utilizes their different uh, boxes for the products that they had. I thought this was a super dope collaboration because A, Noor is super, super popping in yeah. the Bronx community. And being that she is from Word. the Bronx, it was like the perfect collab. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would like to say is like, yo, a lot of brands, I feel like overlook people from the Bronx, like creators from the from the Bronx. Like what what what's up with that? I don't know about that. I um, I'm the always Cardi hearing B- about the when Bronx. did Fat, jo- Fat Joe, <laughs> Remy Ma, where's their brand deals? Ice Spice, Ice yes. Spice. I and you know what? Speaking of Ice Spice, she just did her collaboration with Dunkin' Donuts, where they collaborated a uh, iced coffee drink. Also, I find it funny that, and this could be coincidence, but it wasn't just her collab, but she also had a certain. I know Ben Affleck was in it too, but he got he he got overshadowed. I think in the campaign because, like, come on, it's like it's ice spice, like functions, munchkins. Yeah. So wait, that leads me to my question specifically because when you have a big, when you have two different creators or uh, brand ambassadors that you're working with and they have two completely different audiences, how do you make, do you think what Duncan did, they made it work or do you think they could have made it even better? I think it worked because it's not just about like, it's not just Ice Spice versus Ben Affleck's camps. It's also like Gen Z versus Gen X and kind of how we differently conceive Duncan Munchkins. That's true. So we associate Munchkins with Ice Spice versus Gen X probably associates Munchkins with, you know, the 12, 30 
dollar little donut balls, you know? Yeah. So I think it's just like, we're constantly seeing intergenerational marketing. And I think that's a great way that they were able to capitalize on that campaign. Have you guys tried the drink? Anybody? No, I haven't. No, no. we do have Duncan in Canada. <laughs> I have. It's actually really good. Um, the only thing I don't like about it is like, the munchkins kind of fall at the bottom, so they get a little clumpy, but then, like, yeah, That's the whole, like, idea of, like, dipping cookies or, like, dipping your donut in coffee. So, like, mm. it works. True. Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> but keeping in line with rappers, another rapper that had a really good um, year this year when it came to collaborations was... JT from the City Girls. She did a collaboration with Beats by Dre and Moalola. I hope I'm not butchering this name. Mo-la-la. But a... <laughs> thank you, Anna. Mo- say it again. Say, say, it, say it again. Moalola. Moalola. Lola. Moalola. Moalola. Moa, I feel like I'm. I feel like the way that I say it because I have this like weird accent is screwing it up. (laughs) Moa Lola. Well, this collab had the internet in an absolute frenzy because apparently people don't like to see alt black girls. They they don't like alt black girls at all, and and that is why I decided to go with this look today because JT absolutely killed her promotional campaigns for these new Beats by Dre headphones. Essentially, it was an entire rebrand where the designer created a really dope customized pair of Beats by Dre headphones and JT got the opportunity to model them. JT has a very different aesthetic in these photos. She's all edged out, very super fembot, iRobot looking, very, she, the... The photography really leaned into Afrofuturism, but the internet was not having it. It was like, how could she look like this? Gray hair doesn't look good on dark skin. Those bangs are not chopped right. It was giving anti-Blackness at its finest and... Really, it, it pissed me off to be real because there's creators out there that are alt and are doing their thing and they have the tiktok kids in a frenzy Aliyah's interlude being one of them so i really don't understand why even in our own community there seems to be this narrative that there's only one way to be black yeah and yeah it goes it it's like the Dark skin girls, deep skin tone girls shouldn't wear red lipstick. Mm-hmm. That that's what she was getting. It was colorism at its finest. Something we still have to fight. Um, but I think the campaign was dope. I think she should do more campaigns to get a little bit um, to get her name out there because right now I still feel like she get gets outshined by Carisha and all of her collaborations mm-hmm. and brand deals. But again, colorism, racism, it's all you know, systemic, but the more you see this in commercials and ads, the more brands work uh, with deep, deep skin tone girls, the more you see it on your screen, the less it'll become a problem. But, you know, we're going to see this problem for years to come, but, you know, we're, we're inching to 
um, a little bit uh, more of a playing field for all skin tone girls, little by little. So I'm excited for what the future has to hold. For and me. I'm hungry. And with that being said, we're going to get into our <laughs> last <too>. collaboration. <laughs> um, and that was the Truff and Popeyes collab. I said I was hungry. Um, Truff, if you don't know what you don't know, is one of the hottest sauce brands made with truffles. It's probably one of the most fanciest and expensive sauces you're ever going to try in your life. Um, but they collaborated with Popeyes to uh, add to their sandwiches. You can pretty much order one of the Popeyes sandwiches that also had everybody in a frenzy back in, I believe, 2018, 2019. And you can pretty much have a truff Popeye's chicken sandwich. Ari, what do you think about the collaboration being that you are the social media sauce queen? I love this collaboration. I think when that chicken sandwich first came out, people had a frenzy. And yeah, they were going I, feral. They were going feral mad, sandwich. mad over chicken sandwiches. But I think this that sandwich had kind of like the hype died down a little bit. And this was kind of a great way to kind of like revamp the hype all over again. Plus the marketing, the social media marketing that they've been doing for this collaboration has been like out of this world. Lots of CGI, lots of like Popeyes and truff flags. Like they've been doing, they've been going in on this, but it's like, it's, it's a sauce person's dream. Have you tried it? No, but I love that sandwich and I love that sauce. So I can only imagine the combination together is like immaculate. Have you guys, have either of you, Deb or Anem, have you guys tried truff at all? I know you're a vegan, Deb, but the sauce, you can try that. The sauce that. is everything. The sauce is probably, the sauce is probably problematic. It's also, so it, no, it, they have like, it's a, they have, it comes in a multi-pack. If you just were to buy truff mm. on its own, you can get a, a there's a truffle oil, there's like, truffle I think mayo. they have a vegan ver ver a vegan version of their truffle mayo, and then it's like a truffle hot sauce. So it's like all truffle. If they do. I'll try it. But yeah, truff is it. literally like the the hottest girl on the block. I honestly think that they could give Heinz a run for their money, for sure. Because if they come up with a truffle ketchup, what's what's stop? Well, price point. You know what? No. Heinz, why don't you guys do a collaboration with Truff and make your own uh, truffle ketchup? That's a great opportunity. That's a great opportunity. But you know what? After all, after this roundtable discussion, the overall theme is that you need to have a budget in order to in order to have people give you the marketing that you want to see, the ROI you want to see. I always say this, everybody wants uh, Barbie marketing results. Nobody has Barbie money. All right, ladies, this was a fabulous discussion. I just want to end it by sharing like our favorites. So Ari, Anem, what was you guys' favorite collaboration in 2023? Hmm. Well, everybody's wearing skims. So Def's mine was the skims and the NFL collab. Unexpected, did not see it coming, but it's so brilliant because it's so in line with what Kim is trying to do with that brand. I also agree that Skims and NFL was definitely my favorite, definitely the most unexpected as well. 
Um, what about you, Debbie? I'm asking you something different. What was your favorite commercial or campaign of 2023? Um, I would say my favorite going back to Rihanna was the run this town commercial leading up to the, and, uh, the Super Bowl. What was that? I don't remember um, that. There was so much going on with the that campaign. You have, that's the one where you had the beautiful little dark skinned girl. She's walking mm -hmm. through the town. Oh, she made like yes. the street her runway. Yes. I remember and that. And you hear Rihanna. Yeah, you hear Rihanna's music in the background. Um, for me, the commercial was roots. It was representation. It was nostalgic, tastefully done. Um, and yeah, and a homage to where Rihanna came from. It was filmed right on the street that she grew up in. So that was my favorite of the year. As a Haitian American, got a but but for the Caribbean people. <laughs> so. I'm gagged. Yeah. So. Um, I think my favorite one is American Express and Issa Rae. Issa Rae is like, she's been doing her thing. But this one commercial I absolutely love is of her at a restaurant and she's literally typing up a script but the couple across from her is acting it out mm -hmm. in real time. I just love the fact mm -hmm. that they just leveraged the fact that she is a creator and weaved that into the fact, well, this is normal for her to do. And this is what she does when she's mm -hmm. out to dinner. And you know what, when she's out to dinner, she's using an, an American express card too. Um, so the visuals for that, and you could tell they had a black director because the lighting was <laughs> one point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One point. Love that. <laughs> um, and the last question I have for you guys, because we're all about bringing positivity into the new year. What do you guys want to see moving forward in marketing in 2024? I'll go first. I want to see brands with bigger budgets. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know you got the money. I know you do. I know you do. I know you have it. I know you do. Not just Specifically money. Specifically for organic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what mm -hmm. I was going to say. Because we need money. Mm -hmm. We do. Mm -hmm. We do. Mm -hmm. More of a focus and a respect for organic social because mm -hmm. there's no, it all has to work together. Organic and paid. It's not one over the other. Like spread your budgets out. Like don't just give all of your, don't put all your money in one basket. Don't give it all to the paid side. Don't give it all mm -hmm. to the organic side. Like you need to spread your money wisely and spend it fairly. Spread it fairly. That's mm. smart. I would love to see more, I guess, authentic collaborations between like brands and influencers. I feel like now people are just taking it because the money or like the money check. We're actually seeing influencers that are true to the brand's purpose and vision and yeah. mission. That's what I'm looking for. Like I would love to see in 24. I'd love to see more brand collaborations with small businesses mm. or POC led businesses, whether that's using a salon in an inner mm. city or whether using a production company um, of all, you know, black or Latine led um, producers and, and film, uh, film producers, mm. uh, just yeah. a little bit um, more of that. So we could put the dollars into these communities as well. Well, I hope all of this comes true in 2024, but I think we have to move on to our listener letters. So excited. That's my favorite. Tyra, my favorite Teresa, we need your help. <laughs> the people are calling. Ari, Anem, 
It's been a pleasure speaking to you about the best of 2023 in marketing and advertising. We really do appreciate you guys' insights. You keep us young, fresh, and fabulous. Always happy to offer our insights. I know. And we can't wait to see you on the next show. Till next time. Okay, bye guys. We love you. Love you. Debbie? What are we talking about next? Well, it's the MWM letter portion of the show. Ooh. And this one, this one is another spicy Is it one. juicy? Spicy? It's What's juicy. It's juicy. Here's the question. How do I tell my client that they were flat out racist to a voice actor of color? I, white, male, 32, I'm a producer for a small marketing firm. During a recent recording session, a client of mine, who's also white, told me to coach the black person who was our announcer to sound blacker. I almost pushed the studio mic toward her and said, you tell him that. But instead, I danced around it, got the point across. Mercifully, the VO artist took it with more grace than I or the client deserved. I was shocked that that client even had the nerve to say that, but this memory still makes me feel dirty. How do I tell my client that what they said was out of line without coming off as, in quotation, a mansplainer? Not sound blacker. (laughs) Tyra, what do you think? I don't know. I'm going to pass this one to Teresa to go first and see what she has. I have a, I have some thoughts, but I'm curious to hear what Teresa will say first. All right. Um, yeah, this is a good one. You know, there was a few things that came to mind. Um, well, first, the first one where, how do I tell my client flat out that they're racist? Um, that mm-hmm. was interesting. Um, I'm not sure that would be the best approach. Uh <laughs> to just come to your client and say you were racist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You need to leave. Um, And I found it interesting because with this individual, you know, and I want, you know how I like to go into personal stories, but like it's, it, it's just interesting how people or white people get shocked and awe and offended. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe she said this, you know? So I think just to even start there of that, like aghast that someone would say a racist comment, there's like some work to be done. And the more comfort you have around accepting that we live in a racist society that upholds white supremacy and everything, even, you know, and especially, you know, labeling how people speak. So his own like unpacking of that, of him, feeling shocked and then and again i appreciate the letter but we're gonna unpack you a little bit right now that part (laughs) but still figuring out the conversation with the individual and preserving not offending a white woman Mm. in what they said Mm -hmm. that's some work Mm -hmm. to be done so i understand why they feel dirty Mm. i'd feel dirty too Mm. um so yeah i think um so yeah, so number one, in that situation, and then we'll talk about like, how do you even begin to approach this with the client? 
But in that situation, like there could have been a pause to say, can you tell me more about what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, because that's such a generalized um, note. Um, and I think, you know, I sounded a little sarcastic there, which could be a little mansplaining if I were a man. Um, but if, if he were to pause and say, can you just tell me more about what you mean? Cause that's very generalized. If she didn't get it, um, he could have said, well, not all black people sound the same. And if we tell a black man that he doesn't sound black enough, that's highly offensive. And I'm mm -hmm. not going to give right. him that note. So can you just explain like, what are you going for in this, um, in, in this now addressing it with the client, it really depends on what his relationship is with her. I mean, you know, I think circling back with her and saying, Hey, I want to talk about what happened. I don't feel right about, you know, how the note that you gave me and I want to tell you why, um, yeah. and understand where you were coming from. Um, because the thing is, is, I have given people the most subtle notes um, when it comes to addressing their own racism, um, you know, by using microaggressions, by using the symptoms of racism to explain why behavior is inappropriate, like bias, unconscious bias, racism. Yeah. But people still hear, you're calling me a racist. Um, and right. so, I don't know if you want to burn the house down by going straight because <laughs> I, I think people they're so they're already white people are already so hurt by the term racist, which is very different than mm -hmm. how, you know, people of color experience that term. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I feel like I'm pandering too a little bit, but I'll pass to Tyra. I want to hear her thoughts. No, I always love hearing you first because I'm like, you have the HR, the DI hat on. So you'll probably yeah. say things a lot more PC or, you know, whatever through, through that lens. I don't know. I kind of feel like I agree. I think that that person definitely has something to unpack. What's interesting though, is I didn't think about the part about unpacking the fact that they appeased the white woman boss and instead um like did it anyways I actually didn't think about that I thought you were more leaning towards the part that he said how do I and Debbie correct me if I'm wrong but I think it was like how do I tell someone they're wrong without mansplaining right that's like the end yeah right. I thought that was an interesting part to a pat because I think that that shows that you know something is wrong and you know something is moving in the wrong direction but you are more concerned about how you will look doing something right or standing up for something right rather than doing the right thing in the first place. So I, I, to me, that would be the thing to unpack there. Um, I think it's very common to kind of be frozen um, in fear and aghast when people do crazy stuff. I mean, to your point earlier, Teresa, about personal experiences, I have fired a black model for having two black hair to ethnic looking hair before. That was my very first job in marketing. I was a coordinator. Uh, the girl did not have, she had like curly three, three hair for all those people who know that the hair chart, you're gonna know what I'm talking about. So she had those drop curls and that was her standard way of looking. And then when she came, and I hired her for a job because that's what I used to do. I used to try and hire as many like models and DJs who are people of color because that's where I had that power as um, an a, a entry level job. And I came to work the next day and she had braids in her head. I didn't think anything about it because to me, braids are natural and beautiful and model-like. So literally over my head, 
And then I got pulled aside by a manager who was kind of like, did you see that? Like, do you think that's appropriate? And the questioning for me froze me enough to think about the game. And that's actually where I thought about is the game that we have to play as black people. And as this model in particular, I hired her all the time. So I pulled her aside and I said, look, I like, I have to let you go from this job. Um, And she was upset, rightfully so. But I was very much like, girl, we're playing the game together, though. You know, I'm giving you these jobs every day, all day. You know that this is what they don't like. And I played the wrong side of it. I think that not I think that I can admit that now. I can't admit that now. I was young, just getting started. And I didn't know how to fight back. So I empathize with this person's um, immediate notion to just kind of make it work in the way that the conversation was had and just go with the flow, because that just feels like what you need to do. But on the flip side of things, I think that that's the problem with the world today now anyways, is everybody is so afraid to do anything. Mm-hmm. And you're worried about mansplaining, fuck mansplaining. If if making sure that you don't offend somebody and you change the world for the better um, means that you might look like a, no, let me not swear again, you might look like a mm-hmm. bad guy, let's say, or someone who's mansplaining mm-hmm. to a white woman about inequality, then like, so fucking be it. At that yeah. point- like, and, and is it hard? Yes. And is it uncomfortable? Yes. And could you potentially use your job? Perhaps. And will it make your life a little bit more difficult with this lady? Yes. May she um, get upset with you for um, explaining? May she even feel like you're overstepping by telling her? And she might think that she also comes from a marginalized group as a woman, mm-hmm. um, telling her to behave for, uh, in front of people of color, in front of someone in general. Yes. Like all of those things are possibilities, but like, doing the right thing is never that easy. And I think that that's something we all have to like a pill we all need to swallow and just get used to is, uh, or actually let me know, not go down that route. If we don't, let me not do that. Let me keep it, keep it cute for this podcast. Mm -hmm. But um, if we all just get a little bit more comfortable with saying and speaking up and being uh, those pioneers, the people who say that this isn't right, I think that's the way we have to go anyway. So mansplain if you need to. Mm -hmm. It would have been to the person in the booth's benefit to have you having their back because I'm pretty sure they probably felt alone or in that gracefulness, that's the word he used or something. Um, He knew what you guys were talking about or she or whoever that voice actor was. And they probably walked away feeling shitty, even though they let you feel comfortable in the moment. Because we're also used to making white people comfortable. Yeah. I love you guys' perspectives. And it it's interesting that as I read the letter, we realized that he becomes the center of what the problem was, which was I didn't want to come off this way when the original problem was that this problematic instance happened so i love that you guys called that out because i think a lot of people would miss that that let's step back a little bit number one it sounds like nothing was ever done yeah yeah (laughs) kind of you know and number two the issue at hand was more important like tyra said Mm -hmm. than what you came off as Mm -hmm. and the victim is still the victim in that like the black person to your point debbie is still the one who was mishandled in that moment but it became about to your point the white person either feeling like they're about to mansplain or you know the discomfort of having to tell them that they were wrong in the way that i approached it right this is just weird to me because it's like you're a white man why are you scared Mm -hmm. of this lady (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah I think that's a hard one I'm gonna let Teresa jump in because I know you're trying but I have something to say to that one for sure Bruce well when I was listening to Debbie because 
about like that we focused on the writer and it was because when you when you know better you have to do better right and you can't be someone who says i'm an ally or and or learn about all kinds of anti-racism and then you're not putting into action you still want to because i'll tell you as a white passing person behind closed doors people feel uh -huh. very comfortable saying and i actually when i imagined it I didn't think they said this in front of the person because she passed the message on to him to say right. to the other guy. So she actually had him do the explaining. So I imagine that because a lot of stuff gets said behind, you know, white yeah, closed white doors. Person. Yep. So it's like it's up to you. You will lose friends. You will lose faith. Right. Oh yeah. If you're not willing to lose something, right. then you know you you can't really. And he didn't say I'm an ally or I, um, but there has to be a level of you're willing to lose a relationship or your relationship be impacted. But I'll tell you the people that have held me accountable and called me out, I, mm -hmm. I've, I've grown and I actually learn more. So he would be doing her a favor. It wouldn't be mansplaining and he doesn't, you right. know, so yeah. Yeah. I think to what Brie, what you were asking, like, why is he scared of her as a man? I think that that's kind of the, um, the fallout or the repercussion of cancel culture and the way that we have conversations mm -hmm. these days is we don't. Mm -hmm. And we're all scared about what is going to happen to me if I do this and if I speak out and if I um, say anything, what the backlash is. And I think that that also shows how we kind of move from this um, communal or this like community forward way of thinking to very individualistic. And if I don't want to be called out and I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want to say the wrong thing or whatever, you don't want to be stoned to death metaphorically online with everybody in the comments or, you know, your, your peers or your colleagues or whatever the case may be. So you rather say nothing than do the right thing. And I, I don't necessarily think that he's scared of her per se, but the, the backlash and the, um, the thought of what people are going to think of you for speaking out, I think is probably what had him um, scared the most. And I think that that's like valid, right? Like we are scared about what people think of us. I mean, I'll put up my hand and say that for sure, but I don't think that that's worth not doing it anyways for, you know? I mean, would she, the, would the client rather have been addressed by him or Who? someone that looked like us? Ah, fair, fair. Because then if you get into the, it's like, it's, it, would you rather be mansplained to, or would you rather be accused of being racist? Because we'll give it to you straight notation. It's like, yo, what you did and, was questionable, boo. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that what Teresa was saying comes into play, because I think that if it came from us, it might not have had the same weight. It might not have this meant, it might not have been heard because you'll hear your racist versus the thing you said or the moment you had or the comment you had or your bias is showing or, or, or all of the many ways that white people can talk to each other and hold each other accountable is obviously very different than mm -hmm. when somebody else calls them out on it because then it's on attack or you're on the defensive and trying to prove that you're not right. something rather than yeah. listening to not who you are, but what you did in that moment that could lend to this if you continue a pattern that will stack up and then maybe one day you will be racist because you got a million things in your behavior and your vocab and your whatever that means and leans towards being a racist person. And so I agree with Teresa, calling out each other accountable. And honestly, what I would give 
to be a fly on the wall in all white spaces. If I like, if I had a genie, you know, those lamps and three wishes, that would definitely be one of them. Um, just because I'm so curious, because Teresa is not the first person who's not a person of color in my circle who has said those kind of comments on what it means to, or obviously Teresa is a person of color, but I mean that white passing space where they hear the realty. That's what I would um, mm -hmm. really love to hear one day, to be honest. I know I can't be the only one. Um, my closing words is this opportunity will happen again. Mm -hmm. And you will have yeah. a chance to pause and um, think about what you want to say to address it in the moment. That's the great thing about life. We get times to repeat uh, and do things better. So thanks. Can I just me. add to that? Because I agree. And I think that's the best call out. Like, I hope this guy isn't beating himself up on the fact that he went along with it. Because even as the example I shared earlier, like, I obviously did the wrong thing at some point in my life. And obviously, I would not be where I am today or a part of in crowd if I kept up that same kind of line of thinking. So um, don't kill yourself over this or don't shoot yourself or beat yourself up. Maybe let's sit. Let me pause. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up over that. Um, just give yourself a chance and do better the next time because um, I agree with Teresa on that. Well, don't forget to send your MWM letters to social at incrowd.agency or shoot mm -hmm. us a DM at the in crowd and we may feature you on one of our episodes. Up. Yes. And again, make sure you follow us at the in crowd. That's the I N K R O U D on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, and all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms to stay in with the in crowd. Bye. I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. No. No. No.